What's up and welcome to another MoGraph MoCast. I'm Dave. And I'm Matt. Joining us today from Microverse Studios, Mr. Cameron Slade and everybody. And MoGraph is a supplement to our site, MoGraph.com, which is a motion graphics tutorial site with tutorials, plugins, podcasts, and other MoGraph stuff. And on the show, we talk about everything ranging from motion graphics to Cinema 4D, After Effects, plugins, render engines, doing business, doing taxes, being a contractor, or working for the man. You can email us, info at MoGraph.com. Let us know what you think about the show, questions, comments, concerns, queries, grievances, artist suggestions, show topic ideas. We're on the Facebooks. Mm-hmm. We're on the Instagrams if you'd like to reach out to us. Uh, we don't post as much on there as we used to, uh, but you can check us out direct on our website mograph.com so you can go to mograph.com slash live and see all the live shows you can go to mograph.com slash classes and check out all of our show our classes on there like stop being afraid of houdini creating the unreal mm-hmm. um a caitlin's course on procreate called brush up the brandon's new course well it's not new new anymore um it's what three months old now yeah all about RTX. Like that. RTX on, and you can learn about doing RTX and Unreal Engine. Um, also, if you go to MoGraph.com slash TV, you can check out a 24-7 live stream of MoGraphy stuff. Matt's watching it right there. I am. Yep. All the MoGraph. <laughs> as much MoGraph as you can eat. Yep. There's Matt, and then Matt, and then more Matt. Can you, can you eat MoGraph? I can't actually see myself in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Infinite Matt's in the corner. Um, so yeah, um, there's also articles and things on our site. If you didn't realize that there's tons of stuff to check out in there. Mm-hmm. Read. You might've seen one of them on the, the front page of cinema 4d when you open it. Yeah. The max on splash screen, the splash screen, uh, unless you haven't updated recently in which you have, <laughs> then you just get the nothing, error, <laughs> the error, which it's my bad for not updating, but I, I'm seeing the error right now, but until I finish my client projects, I can't fix my splash screen unfortunately i think it's just a point update or whatever i think it should be fine if yeah yeah i'm sure it is yeah you know something more likely something's going to screw up one of my plugins that's the night yeah yeah Yeah. we do all of our work in when we do our rendering we do all the runner on the cloud and that kind of complicates the update process as well oh gosh yeah yeah i can imagine that um But yeah, we've come full circle. It's the 360 episode. Yeah, oh, 360. snap. Come full wow. circle. Wow. Um, yeah, but it's it's been busy. Uh, I know, um, like Matt, you and I have been working on some of the same projects. And yeah. there was a day the other day where I was flipping back and forth between things. And I was like, today I worked on a video game, a TV commercial, a children's television show, concert visuals, and an EV battery concept. That is basically everything. That's everything. You just need a medical animation. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) And speaking of which, whoa. (laughs) Segway. Let's talk about you, Cameron. Let's talk about uh, your background. But first, um, what I find interesting about Microverse Studios is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you told me this, that everybody there has a degree. Is that true? That's right. Yeah, everybody, well, all of the animators have right. master's degrees. Yeah. Wow. And what's that's, the, what's that's the degree in? Is it is it specifically, is it animation or is it specifically like medical illustration? Yeah, we all have medical illustration graduate degrees. 
Wow. Um, however, uh, so we're hiring right now. And one of the criteria is that you have to have an advanced degree in like an adjacent um, field. So mm -hmm. if somebody came to us with serious animation chops and a master's in like biochemistry or something like that, Gonto. you know, mm -hmm. um, what if, what if they were an, uh, a, a doctor who, uh, act like a surgeon, a real surgeon who just enjoyed doing Cinema 40 on the side? Well, the chops. You gotta have the chops. <laughs> no, so. no, wait. What if? What? <laughs> what if they only had an associate's degree right. and are very good at googling medical problems to find out if they have cancer? If you know, honestly, if they just practice amateur surgery in the garage, that's pretty close. Right. right, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're here in this place now. And we want to kind of learn about your path because every time we have somebody on who does medical, uh, it's very interesting to figure out. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, but if you are somebody who wants to get into this field, uh, it's just like, how do I even go through this route to get to this point? Uh, you could be like raring to go, but if mm -hmm. you don't have the right criteria, uh, you may not know what you're supposed to do to get there. So uh, it's always interesting to hear our all our different medical animators talk about mm -hmm. that path yeah absolutely i mean like i get approached by people at all the different levels of education i've been been approached by high schoolers who are like you know i know i want to do this how do i do it and same thing with undergraduates and even grad students i interact with them a lot um with my work with the university of Illinois chicago and with the uh, augusta university in georgia um both of those graduate programs for medical illustration, even there, the 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 folks that are approaching graduation are are you know concerned about the future. They want to know like how do I you know proceed and achieve in in the um, in the field. And it's it's going to be different for everybody. But I always say that you you the more embedded you are in the actual society of uh, medical illustrators and animators and so forth the better that's going to equip you to be able to get into the field because whether you're um, going to be a freelancer, there are plenty of freelancers who make a great living um, kind of just being vendors uh, for uh, various agencies, animation agencies. Um, or if you're going to be institutional where you work at a, uh, a university or at a, um, you know, at a scientific journal, or if you work at an animation studios, a studio like Microverse Studios, all of those places we draw from uh, the community of the Association of Medical Illustrators. And we put out our you know job notices here and there, but that's like the number one place because you know that everybody who's there is kind of career oriented. They're mm -hmm. they're it's serious. It's not just like a side thing that they want to do. Yeah, yeah. Do do most people like education wise, especially you know you you would know this being a teacher as well. Do most people go into it and get an art degree and then go into medical illustration? Or do they know this, like, as they get their bachelor's degree and then go into their master's? You know, because for me, like, medical illustration, of course, I don't have a background in art. You know, my background is video production and stuff. But, like, I, I would assume that maybe they don't know that, like, most people go into graphic design or something like that. You know, just like a chicken egg scenario. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite. So there's me 
I figured out when I was 16 years old that I wanted to be a medical illustrator and that's or a scientific illustrator. Mm-hmm. And I have a story around that. But then, so that's kind of one extreme. And then you've got um, Mike Jensen, one of my favorite people, uh, who is um, one of the professors at the University of Augusta system. He had a whole career as an illustrator for the Curious George book series. That's what he did for a living. Mm-hmm. And he switched to medical illustration. So like, hmm. and so you can make that shift um, at any point. The hard part is getting the scientific education. So like if you've already gotten your degree in something else, let's say philosophy, uh, and you decide that um, that being unemployed is not for you, um, <laughs> you have to go pack and get your... Um, yeah, there, yeah, there you go. Get your... <laughs> Uh, get your uh, your prerequisites for yeah. the scientific stuff in order to get into a master's degree program. They take those prerequisites really seriously, mm-hmm. but they don't really, by and large, the the two things are: did you get the prerequisites, and um, is your portfolio that you're bringing to the table indicative of a certain like basic standard of of skill mm-hmm. and. You know, it's not, you don't have to be like the world's best artist to get in. You know, I, I had another classmate who literally was never an artist and she decided she wanted to do medical illustration and she just kind of developed those skills, like took a summer and worked, you know, yeah. and practiced and drew all the things. They wanted a still life and they wanted a figure drawing and they wanted like uh, something else. I don't know. A bunch of things. The one thing is that one thing that you never include in your um, medical illustration graduate school portfolio is medical illustration because all that will happen is you will be judged. Hey, this is Dave. I just wanted to stop for a moment and thank our sponsor, Otoy, the creators of Render Network and, of course, Octane. But I don't have to tell you that. You know who they are. You see the results of their render engine all over the interwebs, and we're very grateful that they're supporting what we're doing at MoGraph.com from this podcast to MoGraph TV to events like local meetups and Camp MoGraph and all our community-building efforts. We can't wait to show you what's in store, all thanks to their support. Go check them out at otoy.com. Now back to the madness. It'll be like, come on, don't you know the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? Come on. Chlorophyll? Chlorophyll. More like borophyll. Wait. <laughs> That's no, or, or better yet, your DNA is spinning backwards. Like, Oh, oh yeah. yeah. What if we did yeah. if you know which way DNA spins? I, don't I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah, no, it's Clockwise? When you're no looking, counterclockwise, right? It's the seatbelt on the driver's side, right? If you're looking at somebody's car, uh-huh. the person on the driver's side, their seatbelt going from their bottom, right. their that bottom A, top left, that's always the DNA. And 50% mm. of the time, it's wrong. In fact, even on our clients' websites, that's the worst. Like, you go to an oh. biotech website, they're like, we do DNA, a genetic, you know, genetic modification yeah. in their DNA. It's because that one graphic designer doing their website flipped it horizontally. Right. Yeah. yeah. When I was, in, when I got my first like big scientific illustration job, like right after undergrad, I hadn't, hadn't gone to grad school yet, but I got my first scientific illustration job at, uh, um, at science magazine, which sounds more like a kindergarten, um, level thing, like, uh, but uh, like, uh, um, periodical, but it's actually, one of the two major publications in the science, like in the sciences on the planet. It was literally founded by Benjamin Franklin. Like it's right. a huge deal, right? And I was scientific illustrator. I get, I walk in there, I'm like 22 or 23. 
Uh, and um, they were, and like, it's like they grabbed me by the shoulders and said, make sure your DNA spins the right way. <laughs> it turned out like the month before I came on board, um, they had produced the human genome issue. This was in like, this was in 2000. The human genome issue where Craig Mentor had cracked the human ge- uh, genome. We had the whole sequence and it was a huge breakthrough for science. Uh, and so they made an issue, a, a, a whole issue about that. And the cover had a big DNA going up the, the front. And um, at the last second, the graphic designers were like, mm, let's just flip that. Uh, and uh, uh, it, was, it made this flood of uh, editorial comments that was incredibly embarrassing for the whole journal. And it's like they beat it into me and never get it wrong. And so now if I see a playground slide spinning the wrong way, I get in. <laughs> 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 that's hilarious that's, that's so funny yeah cause like I'm just driving down the street past the park and get triggered uh, yeah it does yeah. and like like you get some macaroni or like rigatoni or something like that and you're like no 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 <laughs> because it's the same with like like chemicals right you know from my 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 small time in biology and chemistry you know if you invert that that's going to be something completely different right yeah that's going to be something that literally doesn't exist in nature on earth yeah yeah i mean and that's that's crazy like that's one of the things that um we've had several clients that do that is they're starting to design proteins that are backwards they do the same thing as the forwards-facing protein, except for our systems can't break them down. Which means that if you make a therapeutic, right? You make a, let's just say, I, this is not an existing therapeutic, but let's just say alcohol, <laughs> alcohol dehydrogenase, right? It it breaks down alcohol and right, okay. the hurt. So if you inject a bunch of alcohol dehydrogenase into a person right now, the stuff's going to get broken down pretty quick. You know, mm-hmm. it will probably have off-target effects as well, but let's not talk about that. The fact is, that it's going to do right. And if it did make you immune to alcohol, um, it would only last for six hours or something like that. But if you injected alcohol dehydrogenase that was backwards, that still had the same effect, because alcohol is a ethanol is a, um, uh, I believe that it is a uh, symmetrical molecule. So you could have a backwards protein; it'll do the same thing. But if you injected that stuff, it might last for a month. Gosh. Same dose doesn't get broken down. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, so this, it, that's a way cool thing that's going on. There you go. New drugs. Be drunk for a month. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, you know, the part of what what we do in my, like other companies like mine, a lot of the things that we do, like Mangover Studios, we specialize in the emerging biotechs. Those are our, mm-hmm. our clients. Um, and the coolest part about it is that we get approached by companies that are still in stealth mode. They're still doing skunk works that nobody knows about except for their inner cabal. And so they come to us and they're like, hey, we invented a new way of injecting DNA into cells, but without using DNA. Or, and like they tell us all of this crazy science and we make this animation. Then they go public with it. But... Mm-hmm. The cool part is, is that we get this cross-section of what the cutting edge of science is, like in, in the life sciences. And mm-hmm. the more like the more you like know and understand, the more you're just blown away by it. Like 
just crazy, crazy uh, uh, stuff that borders on magic, on sorcery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's really interesting. Um, you ever, uh, like, with your background and stuff, are you able... Do you ever advise specific things like they're like oh yeah we're trying to come up with mm. this or whatever and with your background are you like well what what if you just <laughs> did this specific uh, way of injecting the altering the right nano six phosphate moiety exactly yeah like you do no they're too smart for me they they're, they're all so like when i when i my understanding lets me ask really smart sounding questions but i can't go that last extra step and make a recommendation like every every now and then like something like i'll feel like i have a great idea and i'll be like well did you guys ever think of this and they're like yes but that's stupid we can't do that (laughs) (laughs) you know so you learn your lesson you don't make so many suggestions to the phds that's funny but i assume it does help you illustrate oh yeah big time you know um you know, and and come up with ideas to illustrate probably easier than somebody who doesn't know what some of these components are. Yeah, um, I I think it's interesting that you said that you knew you wanted to do this at sixteen. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I I feel like most people wouldn't say that. Yeah, I had no <laughs> idea know? what I wanted. So to. I was surprised I made it to sixteen. Honestly, <laughs> so. So tell us that story. Like, tell us why yeah. you decided that so early. So I was in I was in a special art program. I had gotten into the theater program. And I had gotten into the drawing program in my school, and I chose the drawing program because I'm a total slacker and I uh, didn't want to memorize lines. <laughs> and so I got good at drawing because I also like I was fairly compulsive about it. I used to draw all the time, mm-hmm. and part of how I would take my notes as I'd make little drawings and so forth on in the margins of my work. And there was one day when I was looking at this structure inside of plant cells, I was in biology class, and um, there's a structure called chloroplasts, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And inside of those chloroplasts are these stacked pancakes called thylakoids. Mm-hmm. And that's where they're like, that's where the, the actual um, uh, chlorophyll and all the, the, photosynthesis uh takes place um and the draw the illustration in the book like was kind of crappy and it had an illustration and it had an actual uh, electron micrograph which showed like a cross section and i said to myself well that cross section suggests that it would look more like this and so i like drew out what extrapolating what that cross section would mean in context of the illustration mm-hmm. and what i ended up with was this image that showed how thylakoids might actually really be ori- like oriented and organized inside of uh inside of the chloroplast and like i remember kind of leaning back and realizing that this drawing had more value to it than just the aesthetic it carried useful information mm-hmm. that gave it an inherent like an inherent value and i realized that that was that like that was what I wanted to do more than anything else. I wanted to to create information, to create artwork that carried information and that that um, advanced the world in that way. And so, what process did you take after that? Because at sixteen, 
Um, I'm guessing you're you're still in high school, and you know, were were you in any sort of classes that were relative at all? Nothing. To me. Yeah, no ideology. <laughs> I was sure that I was going to be the very first person to specialize in like scientific and medical illustration. And it turned out it was like 200 years late. Like <laughs> there were, there was actually, there's a guy named Max Bradle from the 1800s and uh, he founded the Johns Hopkins uh, medical illustration program. And he's a very famous medical illustrator. Um, and he was really probably the first like big one that only did medical illustration, like just for doctors explaining how surgeries operated and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turned out that the infrastructure for getting that career was already in place. And so I just kind of looked ahead, uh, to the master's degrees, like which, and, and started thinking about what the career choices were. Um, and, and it's funny, it's a good thing I discovered this because like I said, I'm a slacker. Now I will also make an aside that, um, medical illustration and animation, as long as you can absorb the science and you like the artwork, it's a total perfect slackers career because <laughs> you can like you can quiet quit and just skate and be fine and just like do artwork for a living and just like chill and there's a need for it and you'll be fine i mean you won't necessarily like your career won't skyrocket right but but you can do it you can just be a chill person and enjoy like an easy life or you can torture yourself for decades and start your own studio and do all that. And that's a whole other part of the story. But anyway, I, I'm like a slacker that hates effort. And so, um, realizing that there was a goal on the horizon that I wanted to be this kind of artist and that there were steps in between like where I was and there made me like do an about face and take my like C level, um, uh, grades and turn them into like A's and B's that might actually get me into uh, into college. Uh-huh. So it was a good thing for for me that I made that that realization. Where um, where did you go to college? Yeah, I went to University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Um, okay. Which it's I mean it's a good school. Uh, yeah. It's not definitely not like that top tier A list school like my oldest boy wants to go to, but it it was fine. Um, and their art program, I. I mean, we're talking about like 20 years ago, so sure, yeah, I'm sure things have changed. But at the time, it was okay. You know, it was good for people who wanted to be like an art city artist that was more associated with like uh, communicating emotions and creating a, an emotional space. Um, but their biology program was top notch, and so I did a interdisciplinary studies where it was like a bunch of I cobbled together this uh, my own um, program that included a bunch of art classes, but also included all of the prerequisites for the master's degree. Um, so wanted to what kind of art classes were those? Drawing and painting, mostly some digital art, because like Photoshop, I think it was Photoshop 2 or whatever. That yeah. You could undo like three times. Not I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, have up to five layers. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It was before layer masks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good old days. Exactly. But, um, yeah, I didn't even, and like, there was another class out there about like for Maya or no, it was for Lightwave, mm-hmm. and it was just super intimidating. Like I couldn't even imagine doing Lightwave, even Photoshop. Like it was kind of like more than I could absorb mm-hmm. uh, cause I had spent, you know, already spent like half a decade learning how to draw by hand right. these actual like mm-hmm. pencil and paper and pen and stuff. 
but um yeah it was those and it was funny because like the art the actual drawing and painting classes they weren't drawing from life um and uh they the teacher was constantly trying to get us to abstract our stuff and i've always been more of a literalist like a yeah i would draw what i saw and there was one uh in painting class i got a c in painting and <laughs> there was this one um project where uh, the teacher said okay you're going to do a self-portrait but you're going to do it with your eyes closed just by touch you're going to paint what you feel and uh, and i did and the painting like look just like me like I was able to take like the shapes and like bring them together in the right in the right proportion, and she was like, "No, you looked in a mirror. You looked at a photograph." And I was like, "No, I didn't." And I got a, like a D on that project, and it was me and one other person in the class. We both like had these two pictures that was just us with like our eyes closed because you can't. You know, feel it makes me mad that they give you a bad grade for art. Come on, I know. Yeah, I know. Art is so subjective. Exactly. Yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, and I think that it, at the time, like I was also a bit more cocky, and so I had very strong and very vociferous opinions. Sure, that <laughs> uh, may have sabotaged my relationship with the <laughs> Um So, how did you get into the digital? Oh, okay. Part of this? I lost yeah, you. I lost the audio there. You lost it. It's probably that thing again. Hold on a second. Everybody else can. I can hear you now. Yeah, I can hear you now. You can hear me now. Yeah. Yeah. The audience doesn't lose me. It's Skype. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, uh, what was I saying? Oh, so as far as moving over to digital from that, because you're, you're doing that, and, you know, how did you get to just even regular digital and then into 3D? And what were some of the programs and things that you learned? Um, did you jump straight into cinema or was it like no, I or something else? So I, my very first job, my first awesome scientific animation or scientific illustration job was Science Magazine. But for about eight months prior to that, after I graduated with my undergrad degree, um, I got a job working in New Jersey for a medical legal firm. Medical legal is where you create illustrations, um, sometimes animations, but in my case, it was all illustrations, uh, for um, use in court to ex- explain how, you know, medical cases are uh, lawsuits. Um, and it's it's a great field with some very specific and particular rules to it, and there are some extremely good, um, there, there's very well-respected artists out there, like Andy Goff is the first one that comes to my mind. But... Um, but there's a lot of there's a, a whole industry surrounding it, and it's it's like kind of far away from what I do. Uh, but the place that I worked at was a absolute sweatshop where they were taking literal like Frank Netter drawings, kind of painting somebody else's face onto it, erasing the signature, and like swapping stuff out. It was grotesque, and I will not say the name of the place. It was in New Jersey. It was not a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, I mean, it was in New Jersey, so, you know. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> New Jersey is full of wonderful people. I, I'm not even going to complain about that. <laughs> uh, and uh, Anyway, anyway, anyway. So, uh, but it, it was a horrible place to work, but I had to get my hands dirty in Photoshop. So I learned Photoshop. You know, I learned layering and how to, how to do, so, uh, do stuff in there. Um, then I got yeah, quit that job. Uh, got the job at Science Magazine. Absolute dream job. Like, just the place, the people, the subject matter. It was... I couldn't have asked for more. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they gave me a lot of leeway with what, what kind of software I was going to use. Mostly it was all Photoshop. 
um, like painting and Photoshop. But after I was there for a year or two, I realized that I really wanted to start working with molecules because molecules were a big, they were just starting to become a really important thing. The protein data bank had very recently been like in 1995, I think it had been invented and it was starting to really be popularized or not popular, populated uh, because of advances mm -hmm. of uh, advances in what's called X-ray crystallography, which is yep. where they, yeah, they make a, they make a pellet of the purified protein. They shoot x-rays through it. And depending on how the x-rays diffract, mm -hmm. they can actually calculate what the actual atomic structure uh, they is. They figured out what DNA looked like, right? Yeah. Well, they actually, I, I think they did. That's, yeah, that's how they did it. But that was like much earlier. Um, yeah. But it was, it had become um, widespread. And so we were starting to use that in uh, the illustration. And I wanted to start working in 3D and really play with it in there. Uh, and so I had the choice between, I, I was working in a Mac platform at the time, and I had the choice between Lightwave and Cinema 4D. And um, Lightwave at the time, this was Cinema 4D, I think it was version 7 or 4, I can't remember, it was something like that. It was one of the really earlier, early ones. Um, and Lightwave had depth of field, which was a big deal, but Cinema uh, 4D was easier to learn mm -hmm. uh, and was just a little bit cheaper. And yeah. so I went ahead and got that. And that was like the beginning of my Cinema 4D career. It made it it's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, I, I taught myself how to start to navigate in Cinema 4D and so forth. I didn't know anything about animation yet. Um, that wasn't until grad school that I started to really uh, play around in it. So then about uh, three years into working in Science Magazine, I kind of hit my ceiling of like skill level and artistic growth and personal growth uh, within that industry or within that, that place. And I realized that the only way to kind of break through this sort of ceiling that I had found for myself was to go back to grad school. And my wife and I, we really wanted to have kids and we wanted to do that after grad school. So like life, the pressure of life yeah. was was moving so mm -hmm. uh, so we went to grad school um we both quit our jobs that was amazing wow um, but uh, yeah we both quit our jobs and um went to georgia i went to the uh, augusta university university of augusta program um and in my second year i started to really work in cinema 4d learned how to do um animation or i learned how to animate within cinema 4d uh, and it was good that I had learned everything that I did at science um, because that helped me to kind of have the jump on it. But even after I graduated, I still didn't have a really strong understanding of cinematography material to make things look good and so forth. Sure. Uh, so I took a good 18 months and just focused on developing my skills. Um, and it was like... 13, 14 hour days of me just disappearing into the office and working. Uh, I would come up with the way I developed my, my, my uh, demo reel uh, was that I would come up with a cool image, like what was going to be cool? Two asteroids bumping into each other and some dust coming off of them or some nerves with like the little impulses going or, you know, there's a structure in the kidney called the, the glomerulus kidney structures all sound made of course. <laughs> a nephron like in the center of the nephron is the glomerulus uh, <laughs> I know it's it's ridiculous but anyway i thought that it would be cool to make one of those and so i, I just came up with all these ideas and i every one of them had their own unique problems to solve in cinema 4d and so just the process of creating that shot um made me learn 
And in the end, I had like 90 seconds of, of footage that I then trotted around to TV studios. Because in Maryland, there were a bunch of TV studios that served like National Geographic and, um, and History and Discovery mm-hmm. and so forth. And one of them finally like was like, sure, we'll take a risk on you. And that was the beginning of my um, my TV career. Now, I had founded Microverse Studios we, under its previous name, Cosmosite, which is a play on words. There's a cell type called an astrocyte in the brain, but I was like going one step further. And it was great because the you know PhDs were like, oh, I love what you did there. That's a great name. But everybody else was like, okay, spell that for me. Yeah. And they, they were like, okay, Cosmo, that's with a Z? No. Okay, S-I-T? No. Like, it would just yeah. I, the, yeah. sell out my email every time, and I was sick of it. So we changed it to Microverse Studios later. Anyway, so I got our first gig, and that was for a TV series called Surviving History. And it was quite an experience. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? Well, because um, the timelines for it were brutal. They were brutal. Uh, what what ended up happening was we the timelines were actually longer than what we were told. So we were told that like we had you know a week to get this shot done, completely done. And so me and it, me and my brother at the time. This is uh, man, I can't believe I'm sharing this, but <laughs> me and my brother at the time, I, I was like, Alec, you need to come over here and help me out. And so he, he did, he dropped everything and he was kind of into 3D too. So, uh, he jumped on and, uh, we would work until we would like work 12 hours straight or no, we would work 20 hours, fall asleep during the after effects center. And when after effects would go off, they would like wake us up and we'd go back to Mm -hmm. the working. Uh, Like I'm going to go to sleep here and I'm either going to be woken by the bling or I'm going to be woken by the sheet. By the (laughs) sheet. Gosh. And that was the absolute worst. That was the absolute worst. But we so it, it got so crazy that I had to get another person in as well. And I literally went to the blockbuster and grabbed one of the guys behind the counter who apparently had an associate's in uh, like visual effects. So I was like, "You come on with me. We're gonna, you're, come back. I've got a computer for you." And uh, we got the work done. But they, anyway, they gave us like one one week to get all these shots done, and then we. We'd work uh, uh, so hard, and we'd drive them in and show them to them, and they'd be like, "It's almost right, but I think it needs it needs just a little bit of something." And uh, so, so what they would say is, "Well, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna call the studio or call the network and tell them that you need more time to do a better job. <laughs> I'll do that for you." In exchange, you get me some revisions tomorrow. And so we'd be like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, we'd go home. Like, we'd work 24 hours and drive back and, like, be staggering in the door. And, you know, you do this for, you know, three months. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you have so little sleep that you're making stupid errors. And right. in that whole system making it worse. Anyway. I know all about yeah. that. Yeah. So that, that surviving history project, I, and there were, there were, a, there was like one particular individual who was kind of the epicenter of all of that. Most of the people who worked on it um, were absolute like saints. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, like it just, it, it was a very difficult situation, especially for like starting out. I was green. I had no idea what was even appropriate, like where the batteries were supposed to be. Is TV like this? Is this just life at working in TV? If right. so, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, so and- when you, when you got this job, were, were you, you were going out as your own company, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't like you were you know, hired on to do a job and you had to bring in a couple extra people to make you look like you did all the work. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was my company doing the work and I was expanding to meet the work criteria. Right. Um, and it, the budget was way low and it was like, I don't know. It was, it was the worst possible project. And yet it was my first, you know, our first. Yeah. And yeah, all of the problems with optimization and with a workflow, with developing a naming, con- a consistent and repeatable naming convention that you could instantly know which was the most recent version. You know, all of, like, it shot file organization. Every feature of project management organically grew out of that horrible yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, we still use many of the tools today on Microverse Studios that were developed during that production process. Of course, my brother and I literally both developed like nervous ticks by the end. But, yeah, um, but I, I also, you know, I grew um, a sense of boundaries, you know, and and right. never again did we encounter that. Um, and so, and, and also, I, I I saw what was happening to the, my teammates, and vowed to never allow like the abuse of my talent that way. Yeah, uh, and in since then i have fired clients like i like mm-hmm. I, I rarely i have i yelled at two clients in my entire career mm-hmm. <laughs> in a 20-year career i've yelled at two clients um but uh but i fired a couple uh and mm-hmm. and the one thing that i learned or the, one of the things that became really self-apparent was that if you want good talent you absolutely must take care of that good talent like mm-hmm. nobody's gonna stay if they're being abused yeah, right. absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Uh, tell us more, though, about um, about your business and, and how it's grown now. Um, I've got a couple links that I'll Yeah, is that Blockbuster dude still working for you? Right. Yeah. No, no. You know, like, it was, it was, uh, a, it was a great uh, moment um, for, for him and for us. He, he really uh, fulfilled a, um, a, a critical role, a critical need that we needed, that we had. But, um, you yeah, know, I... Later on, when we started doing more TV work, like that that project, we did a great job. And that project led to um, to a, a whole series of TV shows. For we did a show for Food Network. We did a show for um, we did several shows for National Geographic. Um, we and specials for them and so forth. We did uh, another, I think, another series or another episode at least for something else for history. Anyway, we did all this like documentary TV work, all these graphics for them. And, um, and those went way smoother and we brought people on and, and so forth. But in the TV industry, the, the, you're, what you're doing is you're creating, uh, uh, work that is at the lowest possible cost so that they can maximize the, um, the revenue from advertising mm-hmm. and, um, as a result, like the the margins for a TV production studio are going to be razor thin, uh, and so like the studio I watched as the other studios in the area would grow for a big project and then just 
uh, just lay everybody off. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. like watching, you know, uh, 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 well, it, it, it was it was kind of terrible to watch because everybody yeah. was only temporarily employed. Mm-hmm. And being it's a like the video game industry right now. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And watching that take place and kind of being part of it, it felt like abusive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I hate to say it, but shit rolls downhill. So... <laughs> So the, the the talent, the most important people are the ones that get the worst part of the stick. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I knew, you know, I had the master's degree. The people I was working with had master's degrees. You know, we were all working our way towards something that I knew what it was. I just didn't know how to get it. Um, and finally, one day, uh, a, a guy like called me basically or emailed me. And I was like, hey, um, I do email marketing. Let me let me get you uh, uh, some conversations with like every real conversation I get uh, w- between you and like a CEO of a of a pharmaceutical company or something like that. On um, um, you just pay me four hundred bucks, and I was like, that seems kind of steep, but mm-hmm. I'll give it a try. And it started to bring in the work. Like I started to actually get CEO like conversations. There's a company called um, that's the name. I can't remember the company's name, but they have this thing called ColoGuard, which is a, uh, it's a, it's a, a test where you send in some of your poop and they can tell you if you have uh, colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2010, we did their first animation. I think they have another animation now. Like probably all the people we worked with at the time um, have all gone on to different projects. Some of them might be dead. I don't know. But, um, <clears throat> but in any case, they're now huge. That company is now absolutely gi- giant. And we worked with them when they were like 20 people. Yeah. And, um, and so there were a lot of companies like that. We would get these, you know, these great gigs with, uh, with, uh, um, with these biotech companies. Uh, and so eventually I realized that we need to just completely sign off of TV. Uh, and just not do that anymore. Switched only to pharmaceutical because the money was better. Because yeah. they mm-hmm. like when you have, for example, when you have a drug, right? The, at least in in the past, we'll talk about AI and the singularity in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sure. But in it's the, on my list. Yeah, yeah. In the past, you have uh, you you a pharmaceutical company would have a whole family of molecules, like thousands and thousands of molecules that they would test uh, against a specific protein target. To, that they knew this this one protein was involved in this one type of disease, so they test one after another to see which one bound the best. And then uh, other ones that that bound the best to that protein, they would test to see um, if it killed cells. If it didn't kill cells, then they tested in animals, see if it killed animals. If it didn't kill san- animals, then they tested in humans, and then see if uh, the humans had bad side effects or whatever. And that process was like a ten year discovery process. A billion dollars would go into one drug, producing one drug. From the moment that drug was approved by the FDA, it, they had 10 years to make that billion dollars back and profit. Right. Mm-hmm. Before it goes generic and then they stop making a ton mm-hmm. of money off. Right. I, so right. the whole like payment process, or not payment, the whole like cost structure or, or incentive is inverted for animation because animation is hands down like no matter how you cut it animation is the most effective way to get complicated scientific information into the minds of a casual viewer now 100%. Yeah. 
you can so you can make a two and a half minute mechanism of action video that's going to give everybody what they need to know. You can make an interactive that's going to take 15 minutes to play or 10 minutes to play or even five minutes to play. But the actual like concepts per minute that they're going to be able to absorb, it's slower. It's not as effective. So uh, and then you've got il- illustration, which requires more effort on the part of the viewer to fully understand. Right. So, um, so animation is the most effective way and they will pay what it takes right. to get good animation. So they're dumping their money into that. Yeah. In order to push with, you but, know, get their billion dollars back. Exactly. And it has to speak to, um, to investors, right. To, to folks who may want to buy that company or uh, maybe a larger pharmaceutical company that wants to, to like take on the manufacturer of that drug or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it has to speak to them and has to speak to the uh, doctors, many of whom are often like MD, PhD level, like, are, like scientist doctors. Um, and it has to, uh, it has to meet the legal requirements for accuracy. Like it can't be misleading in any way. And so there's a lot riding on the communications tools that they use with real consequences if they mess up. And so it's very important that they have, um, that they can trust that these animators are going to be doing a good job. And so there's a whole industry surrounding that trust apparatus, Mm -hmm. um, which is why, you know, any schmuck off the street can't just go up and make some molecular animations and make himself a million dollars. Can't do right. Because it's it's like that. Just entering that trust apparatus is the hard part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, uh, 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 we've we've had a few other people on uh, falconary visuals. Oh yeah, you know, she oh, mentioned she has mentioned. You know, that's the whole reason why uh, uh, medical companies are more willing to go with a company like yours because you have that medical background, so you're mm-hmm. able to talk the talk and walk the walk. Right. And you know what you're talking about instead of just, you know, blowing a bunch of smoke up their ass and saying, <laughs> you know, hey, I can make you some cool stuff. And it helps like when they're when they come to us and they're like, well, we've got a new opioid that uh, or we, we have a new opioid that doesn't trigger uh, uh, cravings or tolerance or withdrawal. And then you can ask, well, how do you circumnavigate the beta arresting pathway? Right. And they're like, well, what? I put some on the heels and they have to ask. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the more longer you do this kind of stuff, the more you can kind of whip out these clever little uh, questions that that you know. Number one, show how much you know, but number two, actually answer kind of areas of curiosity that start to arise with these sort of things. Mm. Sure, yeah. Oh, rad. I've got some visuals uh, that will play here while we're talking, but uh, we were talking before the show about demo reels mm-hmm. um, a little bit too, and how you go about doing demos. Uh, to advertise your services and and so you know you've got them broken down a bit i'm not sure why maybe you could probably ex- explain that a little bit because i'm curious why uh you know you you have a motion graphics demo um and then what's the other one uh mechanism of mechanism of action and then agricultural as well mm-hmm. that's, yeah that's interesting yeah well so all of the different areas that so every everybody who is looking for scientific animation has something in mind you know they're coming at it um having seen something in the past and they kind of already have an idea of what they're looking for and the idea behind creating rather than mixing everything together into one big demo reel which we do but 
uh, what we what I like to do is I like to put together uh, kind of like things so people with something specific in mind can kind of get a flavor of what that is. Right. So they think of it as being like a, a chef who specializes in all kinds of different food and somebody says, I'd like to taste a taco. And then they make an Asian fusion taco with peanut sauce. That's not what the person was asking for. So, like, I like to serve tacos in the taco section. Yeah. Um, and one thing I've discovered is that when watching other people's demo reel, after about one minute, I turn it off. Hundred because right for yeah. sure. When why my demo reel is less than a minute? Exactly. <laughs> and in fact, actually, so I have these minute long demo reels now. Um, and I went to a, uh, I went to, I've been doing some, going, going to networking events, talking to CEOs and venture capitalists and like all kinds of crazy people, well, crazy types of people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they, you know, and then invariably somebody says, well, what do you have any examples of your work? <clears throat> and so you break out your phone, which in my case has a cracked screen, shouldn't be, I didn't get it. <laughs> um, and I play the demo reel and there's like a moment where it, turns like we're like they're like they like start to yeah right they lean back and and that, at that point i just like turn it off it's, it's right. the point in which they would normally tap the screen to see how much time is left right exactly. <laughs> right. and it's about 30 seconds you only have about 30 seconds yeah. like this and this and this and this and this and this and then done mm-hmm. yeah and so you've got to use just your absolute best stuff and of course when i'm talking to students the, the tendency is, especially for people first starting out, is to show, look how much animation I've done. Right. You know, and so they'll show everything that they have at all. Um, and it'll be like a minute of flock and, you know, 15 seconds of good stuff. Yeah. And invariably, I'm, I just tell them, get rid of everything. Just show the 15 seconds. Just show like, the 30 seconds or whatever. There was that study that I've talked about a while back, but where they would show people a video and it was a minute video, no matter who watched it, it was a minute video, but the, the little time bar on the bottom said either 30 seconds or a minute. And the people who were most likely to finish watching it are the people who thought it was 30 seconds long. Did Interesting. Yeah. But nowadays with TikTok and everything, yeah, 15 seconds even at this point, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, we do a lot of work that goes to conferences for like, um, there's a there's a type of conference out there for like doctors and oncologists and so forth. There's many of them. Uh, there's uh, the Association of no, the American Society for of Hematologists. There's ASCO, which is the American Society for Society for Clinical Oncologists. Um, but there's like basically they're big cancer uh, conventions that have no joke between ten and twenty thousand doctors that attend every year. And the pharmaceutical companies see this big barrel full of fish, so they will dump millions and millions of dollars into making house-sized booths with video, like multiple video screens and like three D prints and stuff. All kinds of crazy business, um, all there to try to get the viewer or get the grab the eye of uh passing casual uh uh you know doctors walking the ex- expo floor right mm-hmm. and um one thing i've noticed is that it's really helpful to include a time bar at the bottom so that the audience especially with scientific animation I mean, we do a lot to to incorporate real story structure into the the video and story structure allows you to kind of predict just based on what the nature of the story is you can predict how much is left of it like if you pause a netflix show and, and don't look at that time bar 
usually you're going to be able to tell, oh, we're only a quarter in, we're halfway in, we're at the right. quarter. That's because of story structure. Right. Uh, and in if you just walk up to a video uh, on an expo floor, you don't have any of that reference. And so having a time bar at the bottom, so you're like, you are here, and there's like this much time left, they get to decide, you know, am I going to commit the rest of my time to this? Like yeah. embedded into the actual video. Yeah, like raster on yeah. screen. It'd be interesting to try that with um, a minute-long video on, like, social media, and yeah. one of them is a minute, and one of them is 30 seconds, and yeah. or, one or something. Yeah, you just kind of skew it just enough so people really don't notice that... You'd have to do it in such a way people don't notice that, like, the seconds are ticking down. Maybe it only changes every 10 seconds mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. Um, it's, people's attention spans now are just... Uh, you know, the worst. Mm-mm. All right, here we go. Um, I've got this other video up here, the um, agricultural, which this is interesting because this is, uh, I mean, it's it's still medical, I guess. It, I, I don't, I, well, it's not it's medical. Cellular or cellular. cellular. I mean, you know, it's microscopic. Right. Which, yeah. That's. I mean, your idea would yeah. you're seeing DNA and so forth. But the thing is that in in agriculture, the kinds of things that we're doing now, like that that the, the the kinds of breakthroughs that are being made, and the kinds of you know like feed additives and pesticides and and uh, so forth, these things um, operate at an increasingly like precise and um, I mean molecular, uh, but everything is molecules, but. Um, but it, 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 with the comp- increasingly precise function, um, that uh, the the value proposition of a lot of these things um, is increasingly um, kind of buried uh, in. Like you can say, oh, we use transcription factors to trigger specific genes to be up or down regulated in uh, in plants. Well, what's a transcription factor? And so we kind of animated that because not everybody. I mean, of course, you guys know. But not every uh, agricultural person like knows what what they are. That they are, are part of the marking system that tells genes what to what to actually um, uh, produce and what to not produce. This company, Sound Agriculture, is a is a client of ours. They're working on making a watermelon that is the size of a grape. So, like, the, and I imagine making tomatoes that don't freeze, or um, making hmm. uh, crops that are drought resistant. But without genetic modification, all they do is tell the genes that are in there to upregulate or downregulate. Interesting. So Interesting. It's controlling the genes without changing the genes. So there's no genetic modification. Like, there's no um, like concern with introducing you know weird genes and get you know, all the paranoia surrounding that. Yeah, it's not an issue. Right. That doesn't bother me. Um, but but do the the offspring of those plants do the same thing? Good question. The answer is yes. Epigenetics are actually passed down um, uh, from generation to generation. So, in fact, there was a study of uh, from the 1940s or something like that. Like there was a uh, mothers that were pregnant during um, the like the big famine in Russia mm-hmm. um, after World War II. Uh, those mothers, like they were extremely stressed out and. Their, their children grew up to be just very anxious people, and they realized that it was a res- it was a result of the um, the epigenetics. Like the mother, that explains my kids. 
<laughs> well, I mean, you think about it though, like the like basic life practices to make your yourself better, like just more chill, more relaxed, mm-hmm. living a better life will literally pass on to your children if you do it. Now, unfortunately, I didn't find this out until I was already had my kids. So, right, right, yeah. maybe they late now. Yeah, um, yeah. I I remember hearing about. I've I've always heard this thing, and I'm I'm not sure if I have this 100 percent true or not. If this is 100 percent true or not, but wheat, the type of wheat that we eat now, was slightly modified years ago, is what I remember hearing. Um, to the point now where nowadays it's all that's all we have. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I do know that like we've selectively bred right uh, foods that are that meet our um, marketability, right? And apparently, because of that, like you're there's something about the opio- opioids in your body being making you make making the average person eat an extra 500 calories a day on average, or something about that. Over time, now I'm not sure the accuracy of it, but something about the fact that it's passed down, you know, and then that becomes the dominant one. So, so would people worry about something like that, like with these plants that have traits uh, that are not genetically modified, but like, um, what did you call it? Down something? Upregulated. These guys are downregulated. Would people have concerns about that just as much as they would something that's genetically modified? Um, possibly. I mean, you can, uh, this is my jaded talk, but, uh, you can be paranoid about just about anything. Um, and science being the black box of magic and sorcery that it is, um, is scary to people, you know, but there's a reason people used to burn witches. Uh, so like they shouldn't be frightened of it because the, the plants are, the plants are don't, for example, have jellyfish venom in them. You well, know, right, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so they don't have something that nature never intended. It's just that, like, you could, for example, take a plant and over successive generations, um, only like breed. You could breed that plant over the course of ten or fifteen years to a specific uh, phenotype or exterior um, presentation of its mm-hmm. of its genes. Um. Or you can just sprinkle it with transcription factors while, while it's a germinating seed and get that in just the one growing season. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's kind of the, that the makes sense. principle at work. Yeah. And for people at home, too, who, who weren't watching the video, so it's this particular type of animation, although it's not like medical, it's not medicine, it, it has the same style. It's the same thing when it comes to uh, cellular breakdowns and things like that. Um, you know, we have a lot of audio listeners, so I just wanted to make sure we mm-hmm. described it a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, some... it, 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 I, I mean, I, I, I feel like anyone who's taken a basic biology class, sorry, aced a basic biology <laughs> class like I did, you know, understands that it's not as scary as what people put it out to be. I don't know. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. I don't know. I think that there's plenty of scary stuff out there. <laughs> so I I recently got invited to give a keynote speech at um, the University of Toronto's um, Alumni Association for their biomedical visualization program. Um, and they specifically said, Cameron, talk about AI. 
And so I did. Mm-hmm. I gave a whole hour long talk on it. And then um, after that, uh, the, they fielded questions. And, you know, one of the questions was we've got all these advances. Do you think that that's going to create a, um, you know, a socioeconomic, it's going to further the socioeconomic divide? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's true. I mean, so there, I believe that there is a certain point in the future where aging is going to be a controllable disease. 100%. Right. Yeah. 100%. And it may, hopefully, will happen before I get too far into it. Yeah. And I think it really could. Um, but the question is who's like, who's going to have access to that? Are, are we, is there, is there, is there going to be the free anti aging clinic where any, like, you know, homeless person can walk right. up and get an injection and then be like, act and feel 35 years old again? Right. Or is it only going to be the ultra rich? And, and I think that for a little while, yeah, it's going to kind of only be celebrities and there's going to be a certain um, desire to keep it from the, the, the plebeians. Mm-hmm. But I do think that um, there, is a, there is a kind of a silver lining to the fact that um, corporations are inherently sociopathic. And just to <laughs> define what I'm saying... Um, by sociopathic, I mean that from a clinical standpoint, there's no apparatus within um, within corporations that give them inherent empathy that has to be trained into them, whether through regulation or um, probably not through bylaws of the company, usually not. Um, but so usually you have to legislate morality into uh, corporations. Mm-hmm. Right. Or opportunity. I mean, think about it. If people Is live it, longer, there's more people to buy products. So that's that's a very important point and not only that if you're if you are literally offsetting death you have all, everyone is a captive customer um mm-hmm. somebody's going to come up with another way to do the exact same thing and then you've got competition unless you put that competition under in which case now you're doing antitrust which is what like the way that we're legislating uh, one of the ways we legislate morality into corporations but corporations I would contend that they are the first AI that humankind ever developed, artificial intelligence, in that um, all of the computing network nodes of the artificial intelligence are actually housed in the minds of individual people who are participants in the corporation. Um, But there is no inherent node that is dedicated to morality, unless that company specifically decides to do it. I did have one client who had uh, a person whose entire job was to keep the language politically correct. Mm-hmm. Like she was like, we, we can't say that. Right. No, we have to, we have to dial it back this way. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, um, so unless that is built into it, there's, there's no, none of it. But anyway, every AI has what's called a utility function. That is the thing that it does. Our utility function as natural intelligences is to reproduce and right. survive. Like mm-hmm. reprodu- reproduction and survival are the two things. Subsequent to that are happiness and you know Maslow's hierarchy of need. For a corporation, it is to make money. It is nothing but to make money and pay the shareholders. And so, if that is their utility function, everywhere it sees money that it can have access to, it will get access to that money. And poor people, poor though they may be, have money. And I think that there will be a way to squeeze the poor people and that will be the first crack in the dam that makes it so that um so that these kinds of like life preserving technologies 
will be accessible. And I also contend that once everybody lives for hundreds of years, uh, the climate is going to start to matter more to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because on a certain level, like, yeah, the, like the, the earth is warming, climate is changing. Uh, scientists make a prediction for 150 years from now that sounds pretty dire, but mm, probably not going to be here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, but you are going to be there, yeah. Yeah, but if the scientists are like, hey, you remember that prediction we made and how it's worse now? I'm making another prediction that's going to be even worse, and that's going to affect all of your investments. That's going to affect your livelihood and your lifestyle. Then right. maybe, like, uh, uh, the, the people, everyone will start to pay more attention. Because in the short term, we actually do preserve ourselves. Mm-hmm. Either that or they'll just be like, eh, I'm going to go to Mars. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, start, I can live forever. I'm just going to ruin that planet too. 20 years going to Mars. Atmosphere and then to fix this. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why not? You know, there's plenty right? of them. We'll find another one. Uh, yeah, I, I keep thinking about that. And I, I've been telling Julie that because, um, you know, we work, we work out quite a bit um, during the week, trying to stay in shape and run things. And I'm like, we just got to keep this up right now just long enough because we're so close to those anti-aging drugs. If we can just keep this up so that we're not too old for it. And now and now I'm hearing, you know, about the possibilities of age reversal, you know, which, you know, that wasn't really considered a possibility until recently. Um, um, Because right now it's what copies it's it's the copies, right? It's the copies of the DNA that. Make you age? Is that right? It's the the what's what's at the Telomere. end of the DNA? Telomeres. I knew that. I knew that answer. <laughs> and then part of it. Um, yeah. There's, there's other parts. Like for example, you have the parts of your body that are only grown when you're young. Mm-hmm. You have a, an organ called the thymus. It sits right in front of the heart. That's where uh, your T cells get trained to be a particular type of immune cell. And your thymus eventually gets replaced with fat. And so by the time you're in your 50s and 60s, you don't have one anymore. And so you're not training your immune system as well. Um, there's also uh, the the reason we get wrinkles is because there, when we are growing, as our body is, is, is actually producing new cells and creating new volume and getting big, um, becoming adult-sized, it's constantly creating new uh, collagen, including elastic collagen, which has a lot of protein called elastin in it, which is why kids, you know, you can pinch their faces and it won't like droop afterwards. Right. Um, but as we get older, that that collagen was only ever produced once and it's getting broken down over time. Um, it, it might actually be continued to continue to be uh, produced, but it's produced less over time. And so as a result, our skin just doesn't pull back like it used to. And, you know, eventually we get super old. Teeth, you only grow those once. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, once we become immortal, there's going to be a lot of, like, just replacement parts that we're going to have to get. Not to mention what I'm doing to my liver, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. and, you know, it, it, they could probably, even if they can reverse, you know, age growth and stuff like that, you still have diseases to contend with, you know. Right. Like, if you can reverse, a- you know, aging before you cure cancer you know yeah right i, I don't know yeah you can still get hit by a car but at least you know yeah, yeah. i can oh, still hit know. people with a car yeah. that might be like the next great um agoraphobe like the the the, the great unintended uh mm-hmm. uninten- intended consequence of right. anti-aging is that everybody's going to be afraid to go out because the only way you could die 
Right. Yeah. And oh, um, man, that'd be that'd make a good short story. <laughs> <laughs> now, now AI is is the next part of this, and um, we originally spoke off air a couple months ago, and one of the things that you told me was that AI doesn't necessarily have the same stigma attached to it in the medical industry than it does in the like il- illustration motion graphics you know 3d industry um because for us it's like ticker jabs you know but um it sounds like it's very uh welcome in the medical industry because it's helping things like research go faster oh yeah well so in in the sciences um ai so remember that 10-year process i was talking about where we start with thousands and thousands of molecules and brute force in the lab, manufacture the molecules and mm-hmm. test them. That can that is literally being done on a chip now. Right. And the, the AI then spits out a molecule and says, this molecule fits the profile of a molecule that will both fit to your target drug and not cause any off-target effects. Right. Which means that you start, like, just by typing in. Some of these folks actually have text entries, like, a molecule that binds to rhodopsin. Like you can just type in whatever you want. Mm-hmm. In, um, and then they have other dials that you can dial in, like, oh, a hydrophobic molecule that binds to rhodopsin. Right. Like they can, they can do stuff like that. But with it, the end result is that like they start out with very strong drug candidates. And what's going to end up happening is that in the next four or five years, you're going to see a flood of therapeutics to market. Now, instead of the rate-limiting step being the um, the discovery process, the rate-limiting step is going to be the regulatory process. Um, right. And I, you know, that's very important because the regulatory process keeps our medicine safe. It's okay. why, like, it's, well, it, it keeps our medicine safe and it's a critical part to the whole, um, the whole, the, the whole uh, Western medicine approach. And it, it keep, but it gets you to that point faster. Yeah. Things like I, I don't know if it was Google or whoever ran was running the Sims on different types of proteins, and it's just it's something alpha. you would have to do. Who is what was that? AlphaFold. Um, they're okay. they're figuring out um all the they've basically figured out all the possible uh, uh folding patterns for proteins that exist in nature, mm-hmm. uh, and they you, that will make that makes it so that they can now select a protein in nature and manufacture it like they can look for them based on properties the ai will tell me what the properties are there's other groups that learn from the there's one client that we have called generate biomedicines and their technology is that their ai learns from how proteins interact on like internally and with things around them um and so they can tell the protein they can say okay make me a protein that does this make me a protein that's like the natural one but better Make me one that doesn't that doesn't break down, or that is easy to de- deliver in a certain uh, context. They can literally make proteins that break down plastic. They can make that. They can just say, <laughs> "Make it break down plastic." Right. Only really, really good. So, like, think about the potential for like what could happen. What could the the world could change? Yeah. Um, that was my thought when chat GPT, uh, GPT happened because I'm thinking about like the possibilities of medicine and where that can go. And it, it's almost like you can reverse engineer at this point by typing in the answer what you want it to do and it can it can run all of those combinations. And maybe even in the future say, oh, that plus it has to work well with my particular DNA. 
Yes. You know? Yes. In fact, we have clients that have exactly that, that are developing exactly those technologies. And that's, that's like the beginning, like the first buyer that was ever discovered in the world happened because somebody like had a nice hot fire and they watched tin and, and copper melt out of rocks. And somebody said, what if I made a really hot fire? What could I melt out of other rocks? <laughs> and they did it. They just experimented and did it. And out of it came a balloon, this meteorite looking thing that was actual iron. And that ushered in the iron age. We are in the iron age now, mm -hmm. but built upon that was the industrial age, the information age. And now we're getting into a new age. I don't even have a name for it yet. That AI age, that's kind of hard to say. I don't know. But this is a whole new um, set of technologies that just like all of these other singularities in the past, we can't see on the other side of it because we have no context. Like We have no idea what it's going to mean. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm an optimist. I think that there's going to be plenty of greatness that comes out of it, just like the... In the industrial age had plenty of greatness that came out of it. Some bad stuff too. We're going to have to deal with that. Um, like there'll be unexpected bad stuff. The information age, we all thought it was a miracle in the beginning. And now like we've got all the misinformation and, uh, and deep fakes and so forth. Right. Um, and the same thing is going to happen with AI. Um, but on the other side of that, like the levels of, of quality of life that it's going to bring to us, um, I think and the, the chain fundamental change to the human experience that it's going to bring i think is going to be great and on in the sciences a flood of new uh new therapies and new hope for all kinds of diseases that were previously hopeless um potentially a stopper in death itself who knows um but with all of that uh, every one of these is going to need to be communicated to doctors so they can prescribe it and there's going to be an exponential curve with it, just like in tech, we're like, oh, we're just at the infancy. And now all of a sudden, I feel like with things like chat GPT, I feel like we're starting to see we're starting to go up that exponential curve curve. And that's going to happen in biotech, in medical field, in, in the AI medical field or whatever. But um that is going to increase the need for more animators to yes. knock out animations <laughs> for all of this slew of new stuff that's coming out. And so the fact that AI is facilitating the production of art, whether we're going to, we don't have to get into an argument about whether or not it's ethical to, to let the AI be trained on somebody else's art. Let's just say that it's trained on our own. Right. right. But if I say to the AI, make me an animation of a cell of a, of a neutrophil, um, or no, a, a T cell, uh, killing a cancer cell, do it in my style, but make it look like a nebula in space. Right. Um, then it does it and it makes that animation. And I, it like took me 10 minutes where it used to take me three days. Um, that makes it so that maybe we will be able to keep up. <laughs> yeah. That. You know, and sure, it's going to be cheaper. Like, you know, 10 seconds of my time is not, that does not cost the same as three days of my time. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, there's going to be a lot more to do. So I think that, you know, in the same kind of way that the information age was, it made our lives easier and it made our lives much more complex. Kind of the same thing. Like, I didn't have to use to deal with email. I didn't even, like, the email didn't exist and it was only snail mail and I didn't have to check anything. You know, and I, if I wasn't standing next to the phone, then 
it didn't matter if it rained. Like, I, yeah, there, right. there was no way to get a hold of me. Now I've got my phone with me all the time. I'm always checking you out, kind of flashing whatever you want. And yeah. it, it makes things easier and harder at the same time. And I think that AI is going to do the same thing. Now we're going to be able to, we're going to be able to, here's another thing. AI is going to make everybody the best artist they could possibly be right out of the gate. Like, so you'll start with your A game. Like, don't, there won't be any like transition where you go and work at Science Magazine for a few years and kind of hit your ceiling because, you know, you're not getting enough feedback and you haven't had enough practice and so forth where you have to go to master's degree that really developed the skills. Like, as far as like my personal growth as an artist, it took me 25 years to be making the work that's winning all these awards back here. Although I will say, you know, probably two thirds of these are from my team, not from, from me. Um, but like the fact that now I'm, I feel like I've arrived as an artist. If I had started out there, right. That would have been great. And imagine right. how much better I'd be now. And so like the big anxiety that I think a lot of us feel is that like AI makes all these skills. Like I have 25 years of skill and technique and just like technical, right. really truthy, deep know-how and secret tricks that I've developed. And AI is just going to make all of that obsolete. And all that's left is raw creativity. Right. Mm-hmm. You still and have to be a storyteller. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah it, it, you have to be a storyteller. You have to have an eye for what looks good. Like you have to be able to curate something that looks nice. And you also have to want to do it. So it's not like everybody out there is going to be using AI. Some people are just going to be exhausted by it. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you also want to be able to, and you're also going to have to manage projects. Like if projects are happening faster, there still needs to be people to manage that. And if yes. AI figures out a way to manage that on its own, there's still going to have to be a person there to manage that. You know, Until it's all UBI, baby. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. But I'm like, well, more. actually, actually, if you want to get on that, when I was thinking the same thing about medical, you know, I think I, I talked about that. I, I was out for a run and thinking about possibilities of GPT and medical and all that. That was the other thing I thought is that technically the AI could figure out how to the best possible way for us to all get UBI and, you know, be coexistent and, you know, not be at war. And it could do that. Whether or not we allow it to uh, implement those changes, that's another story. I don't think we'll ever let AI run our lives. Right. I just don't think so. I, people yeah. are, we're too insular. Um, we're yeah. too tribal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like the Overwatch effect, where you know the astronauts go up into space and they look down and they see how small the Earth is and how it's just one little place. Mm-hmm. Like, and then they come back and they're all enlightened. Mm-hmm. That's not something you can trigger in people. Yeah, you know, yeah. sci-fi. Well, yeah. maybe if we give everybody yeah. VR goggles, yeah, <laughs> and let them experience that, everybody Yo, can have okay. Existential okay, crisis. I got an idea. You give everyone VR goggles and yeah. they produce proteins that will allow people to live forever, and yeah. then our body heat will create energy for the machine. Now you're talking. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. That might make uh, a good movie. With the minute tonight, that was simpler and not so complicated. Maybe like the late nineties. Yeah. I think we're all on the same page here. Right. I think so. Um. Uh, so I, the the one thing though about that is that I'm I'm guessing that people in that field are not as upset about it, right? They're about the AI stuff, right? 
Yeah, they're excited. There's, you know, there's a bubble coming, just like the internet had its bubble in the in the 2000s. Like everybody's invested in a bunch of AI stuff, and they're all like, if you put AI in your name, you're going to get some money. Right. Um, but uh, even now, I'm starting to see. Like, I was just at uh, JPM, which is uh, JP Morgan Chase has this like big, in, like billionaire party um, in San Francisco every year. And it's super like nobody's allowed in. I managed to get in, and um, there is your billionaire, that. right? <laughs> What's that? No, I'm not a billionaire. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I dressed like one and got at it. But um, the the point is that like there there's a growing hesitancy, like a, a skepticism about AI, and I think that there's going to be a moment when like a bunch of AI companies kind of crater, and then and that's going to cause this panic, and everybody's going to be against AI. And then, like two years later, you're going to get right. the Google and Amazon and all the big, like the huge players that make the world change. Yeah, right now we're in the pets.com phase. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Dave. That's real good. good. And yeah, I don't know if you saw during <clears throat> the big game last night um, that the the superb owl, the superb owl, the superb right. owl last night that uh there, there i think there was at least one ai company that had a spot and notice there wasn't any crypto there was no cryptos no yes no yeah. crypto. i gotta say though the one uh what was the one that cracked me up the most of course now i can't remember it it was uh it was the doritos there was a doritos commercial and then there was another one and it slew me and now i can't remember what it was mm. that's gonna bug me i'll think of it um, there were way too serious, too too many serious commercials this year. There were not enough yeah. comedic commercials because I watched them for the comedy, not for yeah. the you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. There was the 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 beer one. The what was it? The Blue Moon one. You know? Oh, where it's like, yeah. oh, is this a Miller commercial or is this a whatever commercial? No, it's a Blue Moon commercial. I know what it is. It it was the commercial where. I mean, you've seen a ton of TikToks where people are on hold and that hold music oh, is playing and everybody jams the freaking out. Freaking Cisco hold music. Yeah. That yeah. one where they were dancing to it. I think it was a Bud Light commercial. It was a Bud Light. I actually remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a little thing that we, we do called MoGraph Recommends. I want to make sure we get to that. Um, first of all, I want to open up uh, questions in the chat if anybody has, has any questions, mm-hmm. but... I also quickly had a question. Uh, this is completely random, but I wanted to get your opinion on uh, what do you even call it? Um, it? Basically, the technology that Elon Musk is working on where you can implant stuff in mm. your brain. It, there's a word for it. I don't know what that is called. Neural interface? Neural link? Yeah, like neural, neural link. Is, so I guess neural interface would be... Uh, the right word for it. I don't know if you've seen the video he did where he pulled the pig out like something out of an episode of Black Mirror and showed how his brain worked live while he was like sniffing things. Did you see that? I did not. That sounds amazing. It <laughs> like I it, this is at least a year ago. It was just this super like creepy video, and I don't know how to describe it. If you haven't seen it, it looks fake. It looks like something you would see in a movie. Because the CEO comes out, he's talking about integrating your brain with stuff. He he's like, okay, well, bring out the pigs, and like these people bring out pigs, and they're like s- 
squeaking and squawking and like running around. And when they sniff things, when they sniff the food, you would see these blips come up on these projection screens because they had implants in their brain. Um, anyway, go watch that. Uh, what do you think about that, though? What, do you think that, um, first of all, do you think it's going anywhere? Second of all, do you think it's dangerous? Yes, yes and yes. Here's where it's going. Um, we are already working on being able to decode visual memory, meaning you put on a non-invasive EEG cap. They say, now, no matter what, do not picture your bedroom. <laughs> and then, you know, or don't picture, don't picture the contents of your uh, secret document that you saw earlier. Right. And if you're not trained with mindfulness meditation or whatever, um, the, the government can meet, read your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that invasiveness is absolutely horrible, horrifying, and pernicious. And it's going to be something that every government is going to use. Every government is going to use it. We'll come up with an excuse, right? They're advertising. Yes, <laughs> but there though. already is um, AI. Uh, there, there are there is AI software in development right now that will read the firing patterns of your brain and trigger via. Uh, uh, um, transdermal uh, mag- or transcranial magnetic stimulation, uh, your brain circuits to fire in a specific pattern hmm. that will improve cognition. That exists. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine a technology like that um, developed to its most optimal way, uh, optimal level, uh, that makes it so that very rich people can make it so that their kids are smarter than everybody else. And then mm-hmm. only rich people get it. Now you have people that are both in power and are smarter than everybody else. This is a real problem for society because right now, one of the core uh, features that brings society back together, that allows us to get past you know historical problems, is the fact that in the end, we're all the same. In the end, like every member, every... Uh, uh, population is capable of the same intelligence level given the proper nutrition and upbringing. Mm -hmm. So you take that away and all of a sudden racism is true, right? Kind of. Like that's a problem because racism leads to genocide. So Mm. like that could have catastrophic effects for for human future. Right. Mm. And so I think think that it, it is dangerous and inevitable that we will uh, figure out ways to like to to read and um and, and to, to to read and control how the brain operates and there's going to be some good that comes out of it and there's going to be a lot of bad that comes out of it mm-hmm. oh man that's good we need to go have I, uh, a beer and talk about this some more <laughs> anytime i think about this stuff i always i, I always think to the borg you know yeah. yeah and i wonder you know i sometimes wonder were the, were the Borg really the bad guys? Yeah. You know? Or were they just... It was a nonstop party and everybody was invited. Right. Uh-huh. Right? That's right. Some people were forcefully invited. It's a nonstop <laughs> party and everyone will be assimilated. <laughs> well, mm, you gave me a lot to think about. Uh-huh. Uh, should we do MoGraph Recommends? Yeah, let's learn about you. Yes. Um... We're going to ask you some of your favorite things, and these can be recent favorites, or they could be all-time favorites. You can even do more than one if you want. Uh, And we're going to start out by asking you your favorite movie. 
Favorite movie of all time or current? Mm, uh, mm-hmm. It's hard to say. Um, I think that Fight Club had the biggest impact on me in my youth. Mm-hmm. However, um, I, I would say from a technical standpoint, um, it's got to be between Children of Men and District 9. Those Ooh, two, okay. like, they happen both yeah. at the same kind of phase of my animation development, and I just was enraptured by them. Um, however, from a storytelling standpoint, or from a storyline standpoint, it's got to be John Dies at the End, because it's based on my absolute favorite book on, uh, of all time, which is called John Dies at the End. I bought that book. I have yet to read it. Gosh, because, I read it like, every year to keep my head on straight. I have seen, uh, like, oh, the. Have you read the additional books in that oh, series? Yes, I've read everything. Okay. But he's dead at the end. How do you. Well, you should read the book. Oh, okay. It's it's John dies at the end, then, uh, what? This book is full of spiders, is one of them. You don't open it. Yeah. And then there's um, What the Hell Did I Just Read? What the Hell Did I Just Read? Yeah. yeah uh, th- what's the latest one? Is that the What the Hell if, Did I Just Read? If this book exists, you're in the wrong universe. That was it. 100%. I had had a dream that, that like, I was in, I was trying to make my way back to my own universe and stuff. And then the very next day, I saw that book at Half Price Books. And I'm like, oh, man, that that messed me up really bad. You know, so I was like, all right, I got to read this book, you know. And the it's, next day you could be find a book. book. I, I haven't I haven't read the book. I have it literally sitting on my my uh, side table, my night side table, but I haven't read the book. If yet. you haven't read it, can you be sure it exists? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's both there. This the whole series, everything that that guy writes, Jason Parge, and everything he writes uh-huh. is extraordinarily dark and extremely funny. And it's like whatever combination of like you know intelligence and uh, stupidity that he has. Mm-hmm. precisely meets like my temperament <laughs> like matches it so i'm not saying that it's for everyone i'm just saying it's 100 percent for me okay have you at least hey, opened the book matt have you at least I looked ha- inside I, ha- I have there are words yes okay because if you haven't then you don't know then both yeah. the words are in there and not in there at the same right. time yeah <laughs> schrodinger's novel right yes <clears throat> hey i gotta ask what's the tattoo on your arm Oh, yeah. So this is an 11 amino acid neuropeptide called substance P. Mm-hmm. It is ubiquitous in all of our cells. It, uh, it's just this tiny little crumb of protein. Mm-hmm. And when a cell bursts, uh, it's released into the space between cells. And it makes its way over to nociceptors, which are pain-sensing neurons, and it sets them off. Um, and so it's literally the first... The first uh, uh, thing that uh, the first chemical signal that's, that triggers pain, it's the chemical structure of pain itself. But it also uh, uh, it is uh, it triggers the infiltration of uh, immune cells, which start the healing process. So it's both the chemical structure of pain and of healing. Interesting. Mm. I love that. Would, I just thought it was like things yeah. in our lives, right? I just yeah. thought it was the chemical makeup of like caffeine or something, right? <laughs> you know? Hi, my name is Sashia Dumont. I'm a writer, actor, and filmmaker. Hi, my name is Paul Robinson. I'm a director, DP, and filmmaker. We are the creators and hosts of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, an online source for all things indie film. We are a husband and wife film team and co-owners of Send3 Productions, and we started this podcast for filmmakers like ourselves who were producing on micro budgets with skeleton crews. 
Go Gorilla is a weekly podcast that features various talents in TV, film, and web series productions. We've interviewed filmmaker powerhouses like Kestrin Pantera, Richard Raymond, Alex Ferrari, Cassandra Ebner, and Ryan Connolly. Amazing actors like Hannah Ward, Lou Taylor Pucci, Chris Wataski, and Eileen Gruba. Groundbreaking cinematographers like Jody Lee Lipes and Jessica Lee Gagne, and many more. We also offer weekly reviews of our favorite films and shows, which vary from low-budget first-time filmmakers to A-listers and everyone in between. Go Gorilla is proud to announce that we have officially joined the MoGraph Podcast Network. So if you love filmmaking as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for a new episode of the Go Gorilla Filmcast. Your Your source source for all things indie film. Now available on the MoGraph Podcast Network. It's deeper than that, Matt. (laughs) It's deeper, yeah. Um, What about TV show? Favorite TV show. I really like The Peripheral. That's a good one. Um, Let me think. Ozark. Ah, that's so dark and so good. I didn't uh, know if you like watch medical shows in your spare time or if you you take a break. I I went through a CSI phase in my 20s, but um, now most of the medical shows that are out there are usually pretty dark, um, and they're usually procedural dramas, and uh, procedural dramas just don't get me going. You know what? It's The Expanse. The Expanse is my favorite. Okay. Um, Before that, it was Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that's a good one. And what about music? Oh, my gosh. You know, music is a highly uh, personal thing, and... What I like, it should not be confused with what I think is good. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but uh, I, you know, I guess I'm a fairly intense guy. I do jujitsu. You know, I do a lot of working out. Um, and to do that sort of thing, like you kind of need, you want it spicy. And so I listen to a lot of dubstep <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, there's some good classic rock as well. And then there's some other like weird basic stuff that i like that it's just like shameful like um like russian pop music from the 90s for some reason there's like a lot of just garbage that i cannot stop listening to yeah yep i feel that i get you and do you listen to any podcasts uh mograph is my favorite but no (laughs) now i I, just checking you know i'm more of a uh, an audiobook kind of guy yeah um all right this should be this should be an interesting one uh without going into render engines what is your favorite plugin i am curious what engines you're using though Mm -hmm. well yeah i'll talk about that in a sec i guess um my favorite plugin the plugin i use more than anything else is called epmv and it is a molecular protein importer um for cinema 4d Mm. Uh, stepped into that as far as plugins go, probably X Particles because yeah. it's so, so so powerful. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't used yeah. X Particles in a while just because I hadn't needed it. And, yeah. And uh, I I reinstalled it yesterday, and I feel like I hopped right back in. I use great. it on almost every project. I find an excuse to use it on almost every project. Yeah. 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 I I used to use it for a lot of like uh, volume. Uh, volumetric things like you know, yeah. clouds and so forth but there's some great like now Cinema 4D has its own built in one yeah. but before that and even adjacent to that there's um, Embergen which mm-hmm. is you know real time like all that real time volumetric stuff is going to change I know how I do cells because mm-hmm. like cells everybody uses spheres and they're kind of moving around and stuff but in reality cells are like these constantly billowing volumes of of um, of goop 
that kind of mush up against other things. And if you just had a volume that, like you just had a little sphere that was making smoke that was running into stuff, but and then kind of dissipating, and then you throw a mesh on that, that is very similar to how cells actually move. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a very easy way to get um, true-to-life movement, as long as you're not trying to stick anything onto the outside of them, because then that, that's going to be a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Um, what about what engine are you using? Oh yeah, pretty much exclusively Redshift. Um, it's just so good out of the box. Oh, but we did develop a. Um, we've recently dropped our render costs by like eighty percent. Mm-hmm. You know, we we do cloud rendering via Conductor, um, and it, it, that is a fantastic platform, by the way. Great for every like soloist out there small studios, anybody who just is sick of throwing away uh, 10-year-old render farm machines. Um, and it's really insanely cheap. But, um, you know, it costs money. Every frame costs money. And mm-hmm. we used to have a budget of about 1500 bucks for an animation that um, that was going to be rendered online for like mm-hmm. a minute and a half long animation. It's like around $1,000 a minute for like full HD top-of-the-line renders. Mm-hmm. Um but we started using Topaz Labs Video Enhance AI to upscale. So now we render everything at 1280 by uh, 720. And we use Neat Video uh, plugin in After Effects to mm-hmm. denoise. So yeah. we render everything at 1280 by 720, low samples. You can fill your screen with blurry transparency, with everything like the subsurface scattering, everything you want. And the AI tools will take care of it and give you this end product that is gorgeous. And what used to be a $1,500 budget is now like a $300 budget. Yeah. Wow. So pretty like, good. Basically and free. And basically yeah. instantaneous. Huh. And uh, what about muscle memory app on your phone? What do you, what do you hit? What are you always on? Oh, I do, uh, I do Chrome, LinkedIn, um, I do, I'll do a lot of LinkedIn, a lot of Slack, obviously, mm-hmm. um, uh, but LinkedIn and, uh, I just always end up going to Google news. Although I've been doing it less lately, like news is just kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, <laughs> it, it's just UFO news now. All the UFOs are coming to get us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they'll have some uh, more advanced AI stuff that they can, you know, give us a little boost on so we can get ahead. Right. Right before we destroy ourselves, um, no TikToks, huh? You know, you doing the TikTok? Uh, no, no. Actually, you know, for a long time, I Facebook was my number one go to. I'd go on, I'd see what all my friends were up to, mm-hmm. um, and it, so I mentioned I do jujitsu. Jujitsu is like one of those things where um, you go to this school and you basically wrestle with other people yeah. in your local area. And yeah. I'm in Florida, and Florida's weird, right? So yeah, it is. <laughs> so, like, the, I had the cross-section of close friends that I have, like, the level of intimacy you get, like, fighting with somebody, like, physically wrestling with them and strangling them out. Um, that's, like, a whole different ball of wax than what you get from pretty much any other kind of interaction. And so, I have these people that I really care about who are all over the political spectrum. And it just got to be that every time I'd get on Facebook, somebody would be talking about some political thing that, like, upset me, you know, whether it was mm-hmm. misinformation or it was, uh, you know, a takedown of, of um, something that I care about. Um, and it just got t- to the point where it just didn't make me happy anymore, so I got off of it. 
Yeah. And you know, that was a, a major that like marked a major improvement in just my general like well sense of well being. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you'd be good at TikTok though. Like if you could tell the story <laughs> about the reverse uh, the reverse spiral spiral proteins or something. Mm-hmm. That's good content for TikTok right there. Maybe. Maybe I'll 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 look into it, see if I can come up with something interesting. I I can yeah. definitely pontificate on AI, that's for sure. Uh-huh. You play any video games? Oh man, no! It's, I'm still <laughs> made. Like my my team, they're all like, "Oh, Dark Souls!" Like they, they like will talk about these life experiences they had in these games. Yeah, and I I can't relate because I just haven't played video games since my first kid was born. Like, yeah. I mean, not even not even Doctor Mario. I mean, no, and even Doctor Mario <laughs> at any of it. The the last game I played was Rome Total War, and there's footage of me playing it for the last time. Like my last binge of it, um, on the night that my son was born. Oh, but, that's funny. And that was it. That was the, the end of my well video games. Yeah, that's how it goes. Um, life hack. This is a tough one for some. Now, this could be like a super funny life hack, or it could be something useful. It could be productivity related. Uh, the example Mitch Myers gives is turn the toaster on its side for some bomb ass grilled cheese. Uh, so anything like that? Treadmill desk. Ooh. Treadmill desk. Yeah. Ooh. I'm on it right now. <laughs> wow. You've been walking the whole time, huh? We didn't... No, I haven't. But now you can. There you go. And walk it. I don't understand yeah. how you, like, how do you do art? Yeah. Maybe a big, like, at one and a half miles. Let's get this sweet um. Throughout <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the podcast. You can't do it on a phone. Right. Yeah. Like how, like I have a Cintiq in front of me as well. And mm-hmm. like at one and a half miles an hour, I can draw storyboards. Like you can't, I can draw a straight line. You can't even see the the footsteps. <laughs> so like, it's funny. And with what ends up happening is like you turn it on and, you know, a couple hours in, like you put in like three or four miles and yeah, you know, you're staying active. You're like all the, the problems I used to have sitting down at a desk. Like my back would hurt from my posture in the chair. And then I had a stand up desk for a while. But no matter what, like I'm still like kind of becoming a statue, like holding a particular posture right, 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 right. for all those hours. And the treadmill like keeps you kind of fluid and moving. Mm-hmm. And like I have an old back injury. And whenever it starts to act up, the first thing I do is make sure I'm using my treadmill desk because it just everything moving um, just keeps it loose and makes it heal without, mm-hmm. without trouble. Hmm. I got to separate the running and the working. <laughs> I can't do it. I like sitting too much. I need to add some sort of physical activity to my life. <laughs> <laughs> you get one of the the bike uh, the bike ones too for the desk. You know where you yeah can, yeah you got the pedals there. You know the difference going like the set thing. Yeah, the wide yeah. desk pulls you along. It happens without you knowing it. Like you just yeah. go like start go on autopilot and start walking. Right. Whereas a bike, you have to you have to like, make yourself do it. Here. Yeah, you have to walk or else you can't work. So, right, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that's that's probably my number one life hack. Have you ever fallen off of it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I do it. The thing is, the, the the worst thing is that like right now I'm I'm at the edge of it, and so like I'll be like talking to clients, you know, and like <laughs> that's funny. Like fall backwards, so I have to be aware of my surroundings. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, that's I have cool. 
Well, we appreciate you being on today. Um, yeah, man, it was great. And taking the time to out of your day to hang out with us. And if people want to find you online and maybe reach out, ask a question, get some guidance, where can they go? Uh, go straight to microversestudios.com. You, if you hit me up with the info address, info at microversestudios.com, you'll definitely get a hold of me and my production manager. Um, we always want to, you know, we're, we've always field questions. I would venture to say that most of the other folks that are in my kind of capacity, like the, the top dogs at the small to mid-size um, animation studios, medical animation studios, generally want to see uh, success in our field. We want to see new talent thrive. So if you're interested in doing medical animation and you kind of want to break into that field, by all means, reach out to me. I will put you in touch with um, with the Association of Medical Illustrators. Go to the AMI.org, you know, to, to visit the Association yeah. of Medical Illustrators, see what they have to offer. But I can, I'll put you in touch with my network and give you all the advice you could possibly want. And they do a convention every year, right? Yes, they do. And um, can anybody go to that if they're interested or do you have to get like, no, there's no certification or anything like that. You need, um, there's a special rate for students. Mm. Um, I think it's generally something to go to it. I think is something like 600 bucks, um, or, or something like that. And then you got your hotel and your flight and so forth, but you wouldn't cut it to Vegas, right? This year it's in Vegas. That's right. So that's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. It is cheap. <laughs> they want, they want to get you gambling. So yeah. Yeah, I think I think Maxon will be there this year. Yeah, they were there last year. Yeah, yeah. I think they usually are. Matthias usually goes out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, you going to NAB this year? No, unlikely. Most of my travel is to um, like biotech type conventions where I'm schmoozing with my clientele. Well, you have to come to Camp Mograph at least, you know, or something. yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which we don't have any updates on that right now, but uh, but. Uh, we soon have some updates soon so yeah awesome cool well we're gonna get out here you can rate us on itunes leave a review on your podcatcher of choice and help get our ratings up um say you've been there done that got the t-shirt with the mograph logo t the feel of the bab 2020 shirt all the profits from that go to doctors without borders the render things t-shirt hoodie and long sleeve t the mograph blandishment shirt and the that render fire that render is fire shirt which you're only allowed to wear ironically Unless you're shams. And we're on YouTube, MoGraph.com. Hit us up, MoGraph.com slash live. You can see the schedule there. YouTube.com slash MoGraph. You can see our channel and everything there. Um, Yeah, follow us on all the things. Uh, Check for the schedule. Turn on MoGraph TV and rip the knob off. (laughs) There it is. There it is. And... um, we appreciate you being on again, and uh, hey, man. we got to we got to do it more. We've got to. I want to dig into some other topics. Maybe <laughs> maybe not even maybe not even on the show because some of it's not even MoGraph related. It's all medical related. And absolutely, no, I got all kinds of salty opinions. Yeah, and lots of deep AI talks and things. Oh like yeah, you know, cool. All right, well, thanks. We're gonna get out of here till next week. I'm Dave, and I'm Matt, and I'm Cameron Slayton. Have a good one. Later, yo. Toodles. It's pretty good, I guess. 
MoGraph.com, an online resource for motion graphic artists. Start your week with the MoGraph podcast, industry news, interviews with your favorite artists, and terrible humor. Watch live shows and interviews from MoGraph events like NAB, SeaGraph, HalfRes, and local meetups. <laughs> Our MoGraph talks feature live demos and motivation from artists all around the world. Sometimes you got to make stuff that you're not going to put on your reel, and I'm not here to judge. What if Rick and Morty show up for the countdown at midnight? That's where I peaked in life, in my career. we got to stop this thing, Rick! It's going to kill us all! Hear from the people that create your software, design your render engines, and artists that are changing the face of modern motion graphics. You get that render done. Yeah, you better frame, frame what? MoGraph tutorials and online classes will teach you about Cinema 4D, After Effects, as well as other popular software and render engines. Throw in HDR Studio, take the render settings, pick the HDR, put a reflection, and gorgeous. Branch into new software, learn time-saving tips, techniques, workflows, and lessons that'll keep you up to date in the world of motion design. Oh, brother, those are some of my favorite elves. I love projects that scare me. When our art director comes to us and asks for something that I had never done before, man, it gets me pumped. Join the conversation in our live sessions. Check out our plugins or join the hundreds of daily active users in our Slack channel for technical help, advice, contests, or just to joke around. Real nice banana. Ah, that's so funny. All right. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Subscribe today and get the latest updates on our YouTube and other social media channels. Take all your dreams and just do it. We don't care how you get here, folks. Just get here. Subscribe to MoGraph.com.